0: is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here, and thank you all for leading us in worship, especially with those verses. And um, if you haven't yet caught the vision of memorizing these verses, I just invite you to consider it. The story I heard about little Everly, who read the verse to us this morning, was that they were working on it last night, and they asked her if she'd practiced, and she just rattled it off without reading it. She actually has it memorized. So if little Everly can memorize a verse then what about you? And we're encouraging people that if you haven't got all uh, 100 that's okay. If you get one or two or three that's more scripture you're hiding in your heart and um, we're approaching the halfway mark in our year so there's a bunch of tools you can use little note cards or all these songs are on CDs or you can get them online um, if you, if you learn by singing, that's a great tool. A lot of people are using that. So join us in, in learning some of those verses. It's, it's really going to help. Now, today's a special day because we have our kids here for the whole service. We don't always have that. So I was going to ask the kids to help me with a couple things today. First of all, I want the kids who are here to help me um, teach the adults what it means to imitate. Do you know what it is to imitate, kids? Kids. Okay, so you copy somebody. So we're going to do this by imitating. This is what we learned in the children's sermon in the first service. We're going to imitate some animals, okay? So we're going to see if the kids can do it, and then maybe the older kids and adults can learn from them, okay? So if I ask you to imitate the sound of a dog, can you do that? Imitate a dog. Okay, nice and loud. Okay, good, awesome, okay. How about imitating a bird? Yeah, and then maybe you want to flap your wings, too, to get the real imitation going. Okay, good job. Okay. How about imitating a lion? It's a lion sound. All right. Good job. Okay, how about imitating goldfish? (laughs) Okay, that's a little tricky. I don't know what the sound goldfish makes either, but... um, This is for a reason because now I want you kids and you adults to listen to the scripture verse because it's going to talk about imitating. And if you want to follow along, I invite you to open your Bible or your phone up to Ephesians 5. We're starting a new series this week. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at Ephesians, the second half of the book, to see how we should live. If we are people who really do take the Word of God seriously, then there's some important instruction here about how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And we're going to start with Ephesians 5 today, and I'm going to read the first three verses, and see if you can't figure out by listening to these verses while, why I, we practice imitating, okay? Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 3. Before I read this with you, I do offer this prayer to you. The Lord be with you. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. So I realize as I've been thinking about sermons over the past couple of years that I have mentioned stress and fear and anxiety probably as much as I've mentioned anything else, and I've also been paying attention to recent surveys which show that the stress and anxiety that we feel as a culture is not going away. It actually seems to be getting worse. I came across a the, the most recent study I could find this week on this topic showed that we are, in their terms emotionally overwhelmed as people. That the age that we live in has been hard on us, it's stressing us out, it's giving us anxiety. And the actual uh, survey showed that the vast majority of adults, and this was actually a global survey, not just here, but all around the world, the majority of adults, 87%, it's almost nine out of 10 of us, agree that it feels like there has been a constant stream of crises for the last two years. That we all feel like there's this, just one crisis after another crisis after another crisis after another. And that has made us weary, and it's made us stressed out, and it's made us anxious. And I heard a new kind of anxiety described in this study, and it was called anticipatory anxiety anxiety. Have you ever heard that term before? The shorthand for this would be like future fear. Anticipatory anxiety is a fear about the bad stuff that could happen. It hasn't happened yet but we're worried that it might happen. And then you know we're, we're planning out these series and what we're going to talk about and we were planning to talk about our future and looking forward to our future and then stuff happens in the news this week like what happened in Texas and you go is does this ever end? And what's the next thing that's going to happen? This is the the kind of anticipatory anxiety or future fear that we're all facing, like worried about what's going to come next. I want you to actually talk with your neighbors about this for just a second and maybe name some of your future fears. Do you have some things that you worry about or you think about that could happen in the future that are bad and you worry and that causes you fear? Go ahead and talk to your neighbor. If someone's by themselves, try to include them. Kids, make sure you ask them the same question. Kids, are you worried about something that's coming? Okay, talk about that for a second. Okay, so as you're sharing some of these things, did anybody share the anticipatory anxiety over like increase in violence or, or increase in crime, that there's going to be more of the same coming? Anybody worried about that? Or maybe somebody brought up the idea that there's just a general decline in, in morality, that people don't know what's right and wrong. Um, they don't do what's right and wrong, they don't even know what's right and wrong and that this is going to cause a future problem. Are you afraid about what's coming Uh, in terms of our climate, climate disasters, more natural disasters. Some people are very afraid of that. Are you afraid of ever increasing uh, costs, just the the cost of living, the cost of inflation? That's a big concern right now. Or maybe you're worried about uh, your future health, the decline in your health or the quality of your life. Some people are very worried about that. And we're finding that people of faith are not immune from this. That we might think, yeah, because we're Christians, that we're people who trust God to hold our future, and so we're free from anxiety. But it actually seems to maybe add another layer of anxiety because we're sometimes very worried about the church. And we're worried about what influence does the church have and will it have in the future? And what happens when we who are in the church grow older, as the church grows older? Are we going to be able to continue to see people of faith rise up? And as we've been having discussions within our own congregation about our future relationship with denomination, this anxiety has built up and raised questions about our own church, our own congregation. What is the future of Cedar Hills Community Church? Uh, Do we have worries or concerns about that? What difference will we make in our community in the future? Will we be able to raise up a new generation of believers to, to carry on the faith after we're gone? These are the kind of questions that... I think we're asking. And this is what motivated this particular series. So we're thinking about our future and moving forward into that. We can't stop that from happening. The future is coming. How do we move forward into that future as people of faith? And do we have confidence that God is going to do something? That God is still in charge? That God is still holding the church in His hands? And these questions motivated this series and also kind of gave us an indication about what book to study, and that's why we landed on the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus, which was a large um, metropolis, like 250,000 people lived in Ephesus, and Paul went to visit there, and he spent three years in Ephesus, and he discovered that the people in Ephesus had anticipatory anxiety. These were people who were actually very afraid of the future, And because they were so afraid about what was coming, they tried to find a remedy, something that would give them calm and security. And so they actually took up religion. And the religion that was most popular in Ephesus was worship of the goddess Artemis. And the reason Artemis was such a popular goddess was because she was the goddess of fertility and also of the hunt. So she was all about providing, because you have no future if there's no kids, and you have no future if there's no food. So Artemis was this wonderful goddess. She was very popular. They built a massive temple, and I think we have a picture of the temple and that was in Ephesus, the temple to Artemis. This was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was this beautiful, magnificent temple. People loved to go there. They found great security going there, and calm in the the face of changing. Uh, unpredictable future and also the religious practice in the temple was quite erotic, very sexual. So it was a good time when you went to the temple of Artemis and so a lot of people flocked to this temple to find security. So Paul spent three years in the community around this temple teaching them that if they really wanted to have a sense of calm and overcome their anxiety and their fear about the future, they should trust God, not Artemis. They should put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he did some of his best teaching in Ephesians about the fact that God is a powerful God. God is more powerful than the goddess Artemis. He's more powerful than anything that you'll see happen in the temple. He's more powerful than any tragedy or any trouble that's going to come your way that God holds us in his hand and he holds the whole world in his hand he holds the future in his hand and to demonstrate this when Paul was in Ephesus he he actually did a lot of miraculous signs and wonders and these were done to uh, counter the power that was attributed to this temple and if you want to read about this it's fascinating the story of Paul's journey there it's in Acts chapter 19 you can read about some of the stuff that happened there and um, basically what Paul did in Ephesus was so amazing that we're told, and this is a quote from Acts 19, it threw the whole city into an uproar. Everybody was like, whoa, what's going on here? Something that has a power to rival this temple and our goddess and to give us confidence that the future is secure. This is what Paul brought there. So Paul then left Ephesus, and after he left there, Something happened, which often happens to us when, um, over time, and that is we forget. They, people started to forget what Paul taught them. They started to forget that their trust was in God, not in this massive temple and her goddess. And so they started to slip back into their old ways. So Paul had to write them a letter later, and that's the letter we have in Ephesians. And the first three chapters of this letter are amazing and beautiful and they're very powerful. And basically, it's one big giant reminder to them. He wanted to remind them of what he taught them about while he was there. And he said, Do you remember how when I came there, I talked to you about the power of God and how the power of God rivaled any other power, exceeded any other power that you could experience. And that this power was revealed most clearly in Jesus Christ. So if you put your faith in Christ and put your trust in Christ, alone your future will be secure this is what he wrote to them i'll just give you a little sample from the first chapter ephesians 1 verse 18 paul wrote this i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened he's like remember come back to what i told you in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people he's saying to these people hey in jesus your future is secure you don't have to worry about the future you don't have to be afraid of the future. You're in God's hands, remember? And then he goes on to reinforce this over and over and over again and drive home the place of their true security. But they needed to be reminded of that. So now i got another question for the kids who are here. So this is just for kids. No adults are allowed to listen right now. Kids, look at me here. Kids, do you ever need a reminder for anything? Yes. Yeah. Yes? Yes. Okay. What kind of things do you need to be reminded of? Like... Do your homework, clean up your room, eat your veggies, be nice to your sister. You ever have to get reminders like that? Yeah, okay. We all need reminders. I got to tell you this confession. I am the kind of guy who now when I go to the grocery store, I have a two-item limit for my memory. If it's three items, I need a list. Two items, I can go and I come home with two items. If you send me for three items without a list, I come home with two items. It's just the way it works. <laughs> so I need a list. We need reminders. Reminders help us become a better person, to become the kind of person we want to be. Right? We, we need reminders. This is what Paul is doing to these people in Ephesus. He's saying, I want to remind you of the things you already know. You know that you... Don't trust in other gods and goddesses. Don't trust in this temple. Don't trust in these other shortcuts, these substitutes, these remedies to try to overcome your fear and anxiety. Trust in Jesus. Follow him and your future will be secure. So this led him to write the second half of the book of Ephesians, which is his normal pattern of, first half is what you have been given in Christ. That's the first half of every one of Paul's letters. The second half of Paul's letters are, so because you have this in Christ, now live this way. This has an implication for how you behave, how you live your life, what you do from day to day. It matters, and so the second half of the book is that kind of instruction, and it starts with this beautiful invitation. Ephesians 5 verse one, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. These reminders for us to be to think about our future and its security go back to how much God loves us. This is what it's built on. So I thought it would be helpful for us who have some anticipatory anxiety, future fear, to hear these same reminders and figure out what does it mean for us to imitate God? What would it mean for us to follow God in this way? So I'm going to give you three little tips about this. The first one is imitators of God forgive. And this actually comes from the verse right before chapter 5 starts. Sometimes the breaks in chapters in the Bible the way we have them today are not helpful. They're in an awkward place. This one's in very awkward because chapter five starts with therefore, which means it's a conclusion. So you want to know what's this the conclusion of and that comes right beforehand. Let me read from chapter four. Paul wrote, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. So the first thing we learn about imitating God is, it's all about forgiveness. Imitators of God forgive. Because we have been forgiven of everything that we've ever done, we are the kind of people who forgive everybody else what they've done. Now the reason this is so very helpful is because we all realize that people are messy church people are messy we see this when he's describing Ephesus it was very messy we get these kinds of descriptions from the behaviors that they were engaged in this is from chapter 4 and chapter 5 kind of combined together we find out that these people were engaged in corruption they were bitter they were wrathful deceptive they had malice fornication, impurity, coarse joking, crude talking, foolish gossip, they were covetous and greedy, they worshiped idols, and they held their neighbors in contempt. That's the kind of people he's writing to. These were people who were messy, and so what do messy people need? Forgiveness, that's what we need. We're all messy, we all need forgiveness. and since God has forgiven us, we extend that forgiveness to everyone else. Again, this is from the opening chapter where he's painting this beautiful picture of what we have in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God lavishes forgiveness on us, so if we're going to be imitators of God, what do we do? Lavish forgiveness on everybody else. That's the kind of people that we are. Okay, kids, I need your help again. I've got a game, and I'm not sure all the adults here know how to play this game, so we're going to teach them, okay? The game is Simon Says. How many kids have played Simon Says before? Okay, you've played that. So it works that if Simon Says, you do it, and if Simon doesn't say, then you don't do it, right? So if Simon Says, pat your tummy, then you pat your tummy. But if he says, don't pat, if, if I don't say Simon Says, then you don't, right? Okay, so we're going to practice. And... Uh, We'll see if the adults can figure out how to do this, okay? So, Simon says, Wave your hands. Simon says, Clap your hands. Simon says, Pat your thighs. Touch your head. Okay, all right, good job. Some of you got it, and some of you didn't. Okay. Imitation requires someone to follow. And what Paul is saying very clearly throughout all of his letters and especially in this one he's saying it's about what Jesus says what Jesus says we do. Jesus says forgive so we forgive and I find it fascinating that when Jesus was in one of his most uh, horrible places with the most horrific pain the most difficult time it was difficult physically and spiritually when he's nailed on the cross One of the things that Jesus does while he's hanging there in agony is what? He forgives. Some of his most famous words on the cross. Father, forgive them. If Jesus forgives, then what do we do? We forgive because imitators of God forgive. So this is how it works with all of these. And this leads us right into the second um, theme, which is imitators of God love. Because we are loved deeply by him, unconditionally by him, we love everyone. This is the way it works. Ephesians 5 again, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant fragrant offering. So because Jesus said and did, what do we do? We do what Jesus did. God's love This is the thing that we imitate and there's lots of different places we could turn to this. And now I'm just going to read your minds right now. Some of you are thinking, yeah, Pastor Kent must have just had a busy weekend, so he's just mailing this sermon in here. He's got forgiveness, number one, and love, number two. Like, you can't get more basic than that, can you, right? What am I doing? I'm reminding us this is basic stuff, but it's not easy stuff. This is challenging stuff for how we live out our life of faith as people who forgive and people who love. we've got There's more verses on this than any other topic in Scripture on what does it mean to love each other and how do we do that. One of my favorites is from Romans 5 where Paul wrote this. He said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did God wait to love us until we got our act together? Did he wait until we were, you know, perfect? till we were not disobeying anymore? till we were doing everything exactly right? Did God wait until we picked up the clue phone and figured out how to follow him? Did he wait for any of that before he loved us? No, he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he loved us. So how do you think we should love our neighbors? Wait for them to get it figured out, wait for them to straighten up, wait for them to get it right. If we're going to be imitators of Christ, imitators of God, then we're going to love. Anyway, now I know this is a really challenging thing to live out and um, I'll, I'll make a plug for the class that's going between services this summer. We're digging more deeply into that very topic. I think you might find it helpful if you're curious about this. but. I first have to come, up, uh, come clean about uh, some confession here. So uh, those of us who live in Cedar Rapids get a magazine from the city. I think it's like every other month or something. And this last magazine that came out had on the front cover uh, the phrase, Welcome is our language. Do you remember getting this magazine from the city? Do any of you read this stuff the city sends out to you? I always do. I'm always curious about what's happening. So this was about the, our language is love, and they talked about inclusivity, and then there was a, some commentary inside the magazine about what does it mean for us to be a community that welcomes everybody into our community. Can Cedar Rapids do a better job with that? And I'm going to confess to you all that as I'm reading this argue, at, at reading these, these materials, it, it frustrated me. It actually frustrated me to the point of making me mad because I get hung up on the term inclusive. I'll just admit to you, that term's hard hard for me to figure out. What is meant by that? So I actually went and had a meeting with Pastor Allen and was confessing this to him. And he gave me some thoughts that helped me kind of process it. First of all, we of all people as Christians, as followers of Christ, are about welcoming people. This is one of our four core values, by the way, hospitality. Like we're going to do whatever we can to open the door for anybody. So everybody is welcome. This is part of who we are. This is what we think it means to imitate Christ. We throw the doors open and leave them unlocked so that everybody can come all the time. That's our language. But there's more to it than that. That's not the whole story. And so I wanted to say something like our, our language is welcome But our vocabulary is change. Our vocabulary is transformation. It's discipleship. We are the kind of people who say, everybody's welcome, but everybody, you, me, anybody who walks in the door, comes and we don't say, oh, you're just perfect the way you are. Stay exactly like that. We don't say that to anybody. They don't say that to me. My staff especially never says that to me. They say, we can do better. Let's be transformed. Be a new creation. Let's be more like Christ. This is the invitation we offer to everybody who comes here. Everybody's welcome. Come on in. And as soon as you're here, we say, what does it mean for you to be made more like Christ? To be an imitator of God? To be discipled? To be transformed? To have your heart renewed? To be made new again what does that mean for all of us this is the language we use now there's one place where this has been brought up specifically in our conversation about our denominational association and part of what prompted some of our dialogue about this was the question about what do we do with certain communities of people that are part of our city do we welcome everybody and one of the communities that is uh, challenge for us historically has been the LGBTQ community. What do we do about that? And our, my first answer unequivocally is we say, you're welcome. You're welcome here. Come in. Because we're the kind of people who welcome. And when you come, the next thing we say is, well, what does, what does it mean for you to be more like Jesus? And you're going to have a unique challenge with that as I have unique challenges with that. Anybody from the LGBTQ community will have a unique challenge with that. What does it mean for them to follow Jesus? That's the real question that we want to get to. And that's the question that we hope we get the chance to ask. When we welcome someone in, we welcome and then we disciple. We welcome and then we go to Scripture and we let Scripture have its work in us. We welcome and then we Uh, pray about transformation for each and every one of us so that's our posture related to that and it's a challenging posture which takes me back to the uh, first theme imitators of God forgive we don't always get it right we don't always do it right we're not perfect so imitators of God forgive imitators of God Love, And then the third theme in this passage, I think, is imitators of God, obey. That we're all called to live a certain way when we follow Jesus. This has implications for how we live our lives. The book of Ephesians talks about this constantly with various contrasts. So if you read through the book, you'll see these contrasts come up. The contrast between light and dark, between wise and foolish, between good and evil, right and wrong, children of God and children of disobedience. These are contrasts that Paul writes about and then makes a judgment. It's better to be in the light than in the dark. It's better to be wise than foolish. It's better to obey than disobey. This is the vision of what it means for us to follow God. Imitators of God obey. Now, many people want to go right back to Jesus and say, well, what does Jesus talk about this? We're trying to follow him after all and imitate him. Jesus makes these same contrasts constantly. He talks about the sick and the healthy. He talks about good fruit and bad fruit. He talks about truth and falsehood, righteous and unrighteous, wise builders and foolish builders, obedience and disobedience. This is the language of scripture and that it's better to be Bearing good fruit than bad fruit. It's better to be living in the truth than living a lie. It's better to be righteous than unrighteous. These are choices we make, and if we're imitators of God, we say we obey. In fact, it's not loving for us to not stand up for obedience. If somebody is struggling with something and it's causing their life to be less than God desires, less than flourishing, less than the best. Is it loving for us to say, oh yeah, no, go ahead, just keep doing that, that's fine. We affirm you exactly the way you are, that's okay. No, that's not loving. The loving thing to do is to hold them accountable. And we who have children know this is true. Now children, this is the part of the sermon you're not supposed to listen to, okay, so kids tune out right now. When we have kids We love them all the time, don't we? Do we always like what they do? No, we don't. Sometimes we hate what they do. And what do we do when they do something that's wrong? If we love them, what do we do? Yeah, there's consequences. We discipline. We hold them accountable. That's the loving thing to do, right? So this is the posture that we have as people, imitators of God, obey. Um, One more passage where he talks about this. Ephesians 4, just jump back to verse 21 and 23. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, so that's our source for truth, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. You put off your old and you put on your new because the old self he describes here is corrupted by its deceitful desires so be made new again this is our hope probably the clearest verse is 2nd Corinthians 5 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ they are a new creation the old is gone the new has come this is the vision for what it means to imitate God as imitators of God who love and forgive we also learn to obey and this makes our future secure. It's like, no matter what happens, I can tell you, we're going to keep living like this. No matter what choices we make as people or as a congregation, no matter what happens in the world, we're going to keep forgiving, we're going to keep loving, and we're going to keep obeying. And it's sometimes a challenge to figure out exactly how to do all that, but we're committed to be the kind of people who figure out how to forgive and how to love and how to obey so I'm going to give you some next steps and let you go first when you face anticipatory anxiety like you're afraid of the future what do you do to calm you down and I know that oftentimes we use substitutes we don't trust God and so we self-soothe we find something to give us pleasure we find something to take our mind off of but we do we take shortcuts to try to overcome our fears the first step toward moving forward is to say, I'm going to name my shortcuts. I'm going to name my addictions. I'm going to name my um, idols, the things that I use instead of God to give me comfort when I'm afraid. So that's the first step. And then the second step then is to move forward and say, well, where can you imitate God better? Is there some place where maybe you really struggle with forgiveness and you could be a better forgiver? How could I imitate God and forgive better? Or maybe it's struggling with loving, being a loving, how do I love God better? Or maybe it's obeying. There's a particular area in your life where you just don't obey. And how could you obey better? So ask these kind of questions. And we're going to keep digging into this in, uh, in weeks ahead. We're the kind of people who need reminders, especially as we get older. I know I need my list to go to the grocery store. It, it helps me get done what I want to get done right? So I thought um, reminders could help all of us. Um, Many things in our world tell us that we should be worried about the future, that we should have lots of anxiety because it's getting bad and it's going to get worse. And then they give us solutions to try to like calm our fears which are shortcuts or substitutes. I wanted to give you just a little reminder about that temple of Artemis and actually a picture of what it looks like today. This is what the temple of Artemis looks like today. So if we had put our faith in that temple to be the one thing that was going to keep us secure for all time and all eternity, good luck to you, right? Just reminding you, that's what happens to these substitutes that we pick. Okay? But let me remind you of this. The best possible path to our future is if we imitate God. And if we do that by being better at forgiving better at loving, and better at obeying. And if we do that, the promise I see in the book of Ephesians is this, your future is secure. Dear Lord God, we come before you this morning, and I give you thanks for uh, the chance to study your word. And we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit, who's right now in this room hovering around, Uh, convicting us and encouraging us and challenging us. God, help us to live out these things um, to be good imitators. And God, I pray for how this might affect our future and so that, God, when tragedy strikes, when difficulties come, when uncertainties are looming all around us, I pray that you'll help us to continue to put our trust in you, to trust that you'll continue to carry us and that in the midst of that, anxiety God to keep forgiving and keep loving and keep obeying God help us to be strong strengthen us in the power of your spirit we know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for us to empower our daily living so help us I pray for those right now in this room who might be struggling right now with some very difficult challenges with regard to forgiveness, that they're in a situation where relationships are shattered and broken and they need reconciliation and it seems like forgiveness is an impossible thing, I pray God that you would empower them by your spirit to forgive. God, I pray for those who are struggling with love, that we've got people in our mind, sometimes whole categories of people in our mind who we're not sure they deserve to be loved. God, forgive us for that and help grow within us this desire to love more and more. And God, I know many of us, including myself, struggle with different things, uh, temptations and addictions, and uh, we're tempted to disobey. We think our way is better than your way, so we go charging off in the wrong direction. We make foolish decisions. We disobey. God, forgive us for that, and by your Spirit, help us to be children who are good imitators of our Father. Help us to become more like Christ. Make us to be new creatures. And God, we know that you want to accomplish that work in us. God, I pray for all of us in our just general sense of stress and anxiety. God, help us with those things that come day by day into our life, those crises and tragedies that we face over and over again to trust in you, to walk closely with you, to feel your strong arms of love wrapping around us and then um, help us to to spread that love with our community. God, bless our congregation. Bless us in this season of discernment. Bless us as we're trying to determine the the right path forward with a partner in um, ministry. I pray that you'll, you'll guide our discussions and conversations. Give us wisdom there, too. Thank you, God, that we can turn to you, and we know that you're always there ready to listen and eager to respond. And so we lay these... Request and praises at your feet with thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.